we are going to continue. Remember back in August, we looked at some videos with regard to strongholds, dealing with bad habits. How do we deal with them? How do we gain victory over them? And we're going to be looking at three different clips from this man getting into the book of James, at least the first chapter. He's got some really good insight. We're going to talk about that. Um, I am absolutely convinced that this is going to really be a blessing and a help for all of us. All right. I want to pray. Let's do that, all right? Father, thank you for the power of your word, and thank you for the spirit of God that can speak truth to the inner man. And I'm just asking you, Father, though my words may be feeble, your words are powerful and transform lives. And I'm just asking God, let your words be spoken to hearts. You do what I can and speak very personally to every single heart, very clearly and very specifically what they are to receive, what they are to hear, what they are to do as a result. And we give you the praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been talking about waiting upon the Lord. That's what this series is about. And I did something that I usually don't do. I did a mini-series within a series. And that lasted for three weeks. And that mini-series was just simply being led by the Lord. Because waiting upon the Lord is a much bigger subject. Basically, the point of this, this topic that I'm going through January and into February is very clearly, how do we seek God's will? How do we know it? How do we walk in it? And these last three weeks, we talked about, how does God even reveal his will? We looked at eight different things, and I'm just going to read them off to you, but eight different things that were very important in being able to know or, or being able to hear God. And they were, number one, how does God speak and that is number one scripture number two the spirit's application that is his illumination as we're studying the word the spirit of god will speak to you and that's what he does number three circumstances god opens doors and he closes doors and some of those doors are financial doors and sometimes as americans we whip out that plastic credit card and we end up, and I'm not saying that this happens all the time. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. But sometimes we pull it out so quickly, and God purposely doesn't provide the finances because he wants you to go in a different direction. But you have the almighty plastic, and you overcome that barrier, and you end up missing God's will. So God opens doors, and he closes doors. Dreams and visions. That would be number four. That's how God speaks to us. Number five, angelic visitations. Number six, prophecy. We spent some time in actually an entire sermon just on prophecy. There was a whole lot more that we could get into, honestly, but some cautions were thrown out there as well as encouragements. Number seven, counsel. Hopefully seeking a broad spectrum of counsel and not just from Christians because sometimes the world has certain expertise that we need to glean in order to bring into a, a problem like in, in finances. But don't just listen to the counsel of the world. Please listen to godly counsel. And number eight, still small voices. Excuse me. <laughs> I didn't say that, did I? <laughs> God's still small voice. Whew. I'm going to get into trouble on that one. But what we did was we stepped back. And as we looked at this, we realized something. And that is that God generally has a process. We want to short circuit that process. We want to go right to knowing God's will immediately and 
God many times has a process for us to walk through. And I'm going to say this. I said it last week and probably even the week before. But many times the process is actually more important than what God has to say to you to lead you. Many times God wants to do something in us in that process that's utterly invaluable to transform our hearts. Because it's by the transforming of our hearts, Romans 12, 2, by the renewing of our minds, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may be able to test and approve the, per, the, the, um, the pleasing and perfect will of God. Okay? This process is so important. I want to read something to you in 1 Samuel chapter 28. Saul, we're going to quickly find out, is someone who did not enjoy the process. Saul many times shirked the process. He just wanted to know, okay, God, what do you want me to do here? I mean, step by step, come on. Saul, as you, as you examine his life, had a pretense of spirituality about him. He was religious on the exterior. He would even seek God. But when his heart was tested, when his heart, for example, was filled with fear because he heard the Philistines' war chants, he realized that they may be attacking at any moment. I need to be prepared. He he told the high priest, remove your hand. The, the, he was, it was more than likely on the ephod trying to discern yes or no, what do we do now? And no, no, we're done. And he short-circuited, truly knowing what God wanted to say in that moment. Saul was this type of person. Saul had high suspicions about David, believed David was his conspirator, and when the priests helped out David, he had 80, 85 priests in the city of Nod killed because he believed they conspired with David. And so what happened is the high priest's son took the ephod, which was a means to know the will of God, with him and went to David. So the priests were being killed. The ephod was gone. He was so adamant in just having this air of religiosity about him in which his heart was not right. I can only imagine that prophets left him. Gad the seer sided with David and came to David in the cave of Adullam. I would imagine that many prophets did this. See, there's something wrong in this kingdom so that Saul was now going to be unable to hear the natural ways, that natural, supernatural really, ways in which God would communicate with the king. So now with that in mind, I'm going to read this passage to you. 1 Samuel chapter 28, starting with verse 4, just a few verses. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all the Israelites and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Can I just tell you, oh my goodness, how many times it says Saul was afraid. We never see that with David, by the way. So Saul was afraid. Terror 
filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium. That is a spiritist. So I may go and inquire of her. If you prefer the word necromancer, one who would conjure the dead. Saul had those types of people, the witches, expelled from Israel or killed, and now he is seeking one. Why? Because God is not speaking to me. You know, Saul regularly wanted God to speak to him in certain ways and on his, that is Saul's, timetable. Because this process for Saul was just inconvenient. Have you ever wondered when you were looking at, when you're reading the passage in which David, excuse me, Saul is chasing after David, David flees to Samuel, and so Saul goes after him. And when he encounters Samuel, it says, all that day and all that night, Saul walked around and then he fell to the ground and he prophesied. Now for most of us, I think we would enjoy prophesying, but for Saul, it is clearly inconvenient. He had his agenda, and prophesying was not on it. And generally, when you look at Saul's life, nothing that was truly birthed from the heart of God that he wanted to, that God wanted to see in Saul's heart, all of that was inconvenient for Saul. It was just inconvenient. Can I ask you? Have you ever felt this process taking just too long, that it was inconvenient for you? Have you ever felt impatient or angry or maybe even just bored and distracted and wandering off into left field? David was so different than Saul. For Saul, it was all about his heart. That's why and I just want to challenge us as, as we look at this idea of inconvenient prayer tonight. Understand, Saul, that was the guy. Prayer, really seeking after the heart of God, enduring this process that at times could take long, totally inconvenient. Not his cup of tea, not something that he wanted to endure. Saul hated the process. Do you remember when David spoke to Michael and Michael, it says, despised David in his heart because he worshiped God with intensity. Because she too had that religious spirit about her, just like her father. And David rebuked her and said, for this reason, for this reason, God chose me instead of your father to be king over Israel. Church, this is so important that we be men and women after God's heart and that our heart is regularly yielded in this process to God and that he's going to take us through this process and he can speak to us through any of these eight different ways, any of these eight different ways. 
And it's not up to us to decide which ones he's going to speak to me about. He is free and sovereign and Lord over all, including your life. And he can speak to you however he desires and in his own timetable. Too many times we want to go to a prophet or a prophetess and get a word from God, just like in the Old Testament. But you never see that in the New Testament because we have the Spirit. And God wants to lead us by that Spirit, His Spirit in us. There are times in which a prophet or prophetess may speak, but it's not something we seek after. I just fail to see that in the New Testament. That's God's prerogative. He can do that if he chooses. What can we do to best position ourselves then for God to lead us. We looked at all these eight different ways. How can we then position ourselves to receive, hear from God, be led by God to do his will? Can I ask you this? Should we pray? And then this is an expression or a challenge that many people have heard. But my question is, should we? Should we pray until God speaks to us? Until, like, what I'm saying is, and I've heard this, hap- this regularly in, in many sermons in which they will say just pray, and you're on your knees, and if you're wanting to know God's will, just stay on your knees until God speaks to you. Now, trust me, I, I, lo- I, I think that staying on your knees and seeking after God is so crucial, but my question is, do you do it only until that the Spirit speaks to you. Because what you're doing is you're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm choosing number eight. Hearing the still, not still small voices, but the still small voice of the Spirit in us. And I'm, I'm going to pray until I hear that. And we are limiting God. Can I ask you, do you pray until someone comes and knocks on your door with a prophetic word? Most of us don't do that. Do you pray until you're visited by an angel? Because that's one of the ways that God speaks to us. I would hardly say none of us do that. How about this? Do we pray until we fall asleep? You heard me right on that. Do we pray until we fall asleep? Because church, how else do you dream, right? That was supposed to be a little bit of a joke. But regardless, I mean, we we have to fall asleep to dream. So can we just say that we just seek God without any limitations on him and that he gets to choose how he will speak to us because many times what we're trying to do is we're trying to preempt this process of any risk whatsoever any possible failure but can i say and, and i believe this with all of my heart because jeremiah makes this clear remember we looked at jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. you will seek me And find me when you seek me with all of your heart. What was Saul's problem? He wasn't seeking God with all of his heart. Okay, God, I'm trying to be patient. Come on now. You're not speaking to me. There's no dreams. There's no Urim and Thummim. There's no prophets speaking. There's no prophets in my court, in fact. Come on, God could have given him a dream. God could have done a number of things to speak to him, but he didn't because Saul's heart was not right. Saul's heart just wasn't right. He wasn't seeking God with all of his heart. 
because the process was inconvenient. So number one, when we're talking about this inconvenience of seeking God, number one, seek him with all your heart. Don't be like Saul and embrace this process. In this waiting upon God, he's going to do something in your heart. And I truly believe that if we're seeking him with all of our heart, and maybe the Spirit spoke to us, but we're just not real sure that it was the Spirit. Don't feel as if you're unspiritual. Don't feel as if you're some ungodly man or woman because you just don't know. Do, do you not believe that God could actually speak to you audibly by his Spirit, not just into your, your inner, inner man? Of course he can so if God is trying to communicate to you this way, is it some kind of guessing game? Well, I think he spoke. Well, I don't think he did. See, let's just realize that's, that's not the game that God plays with us, okay? So as we are seeking God and we're seeking counsel, and maybe we discover that some of this counsel is contradictory, not necessarily one is right or one is wrong. One is biblical and one is not because many times counsel has to do with what is the best. And sometimes counsel may give the best and another counsel gives the good. And the good seems very attractive. And so you're conflicted. And as you seek him, allow him to direct your steps. And sometimes that just means, you know what, God? As I am seeking you, I have three options here. And all I can say is, I'm believing that this one is the best. And I'm gonna, I pray this way many times. If there is still uncertainty, God, I have to make a decision today. And I believe this is the one. And so this is the one that I'm going to make. And if that is not the one that you want me to make, I need you to close the door. I need you to do something. I'm humbling myself before you and I've sought you. I've even fasted. I need your will. There is risk in this decision that I'm making. Would you please help me? And I trust him at that moment. I trust him in this process. And can I just say that God is so good. If for some reason, because whatever, he has a better plan for me, and I move in this other direction, that he is so good, as long as that direction is not sin, but so good that he's able to bring good and head me in the right direction. He's able to bring good out of it. That's just the heart of the Father. He can do this. Probably next week I'll get into a story on that. That uh, I, just as I was in the Word this past week, the Lord began to minister to me just the good that He can bring out of our indecisiveness. Amazing. And. It, Seek him with all your heart. Don't be like Saul and embrace the process. Number two, spend time in prayer and much time if need be. In Acts 12, verse 5, it says, so Peter was kept in prison. See, Herod, because Peter was preaching the gospel, put him in prison and was going to take his life the very next day. And that night, the church prayed. So Peter was kept in prison 
verse 5 says, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, the way the Greek reads, and that's a very fair translation, is praying they prayed. And that's just the way the Greeks emphasized something. So, good translation, earnestly prayed. Praying they prayed. They really prayed. And you know the story, an angel appears to him, there's a guard on both sides of him, and apparently they don't see it, they don't wake up, we don't know if they're even asleep or not, Peter is, and the angel bumps him, so I'm going to assume being asleep, it's probably a little bit late in the evening, we don't know what time, but the angel bumps him, and he wakes up, and then the chains just fall off of his wrists, one on each arm, they fa- falls off his wrist, and the angel says, follow me. And he goes through the prison door, and there's two guards outside that door, and apparently they're either asleep or they don't see him. Then they go through the prison gate, and this, they, the two guards there still don't see him. And now he's about to go outside into the city, and he walks an entire street, and then he, he, he kind of like, wow. This isn't a vision. This actually, I am out of prison. And so he goes to Mary's house, the mother of John Mark, and everybody is awake, and the, there's a, a large gathering there of believers, and they're praying for him. Now, I'm not going to go into any more of the story than that, except what a deliverance, what a miracle that God did. And I can't just say because God just wanted to, But God did it, and he stirred up his people to pray earnestly. Let me give you another example in which someone prayed earnestly, and I'm going to suggest we know this because of the amount of time that this person spent in prayer. And that person's name is Jesus. So turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Jesus goes up onto a mountainside to pray. Right there in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, One of those days, that is, during his ministry time, actually in which opposition was rising against him. But one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated as apostles. Now, in the Greek, the word night is the word all night, the whole night. Some of your translations reflect that. For some reason, the NIV chose not to, but that is the literal translation, and I know the NASB reads that way, but he spent the whole night, not just a part of the night, the whole night in prayer And then when morning came, he made a decision. And he called for 12 people, and he designated them as apostles. Jesus, the Son of God, spent the entire night in prayer. This is the same one that would so easily hear from the Father because of his intimate relationship with the Father. He only said what he heard the Father say, and he only did what he saw the Father doing. That is an incredible, intense, intimate relationship. I don't have that type of relationship with God. God just just doesn't tell me everything I'm supposed to say, and he doesn't show me 
what I'm supposed to do. When Jesus healed someone, it is because the Father, he saw the Father doing it. Wow. Can I be honest with you? I've never seen that. But the intimacy that the Son had with the Father was of that nature. Jesus was God, yes, but he had set aside certain glories of that deity to take on human flesh, and so he was subject to being tired and hungry and a variety of thirsty and a variety of things, and so that he needed to depend upon the Father. He didn't just walk up to people because he's God. I mean, goodness, he, doesn't he have authority? I mean, he can, he can heal whoever he wants. He had submitted himself in the flesh. That is, as he was in human flesh, he had submitted himself to the Father so that it was the Spirit anointing him that healed and not of his own virtue. It was the Father showing him who to heal and not his own decisions. He was in complete submission to the Father. It's this person, this Son of God that spent all night in prayer. My goodness, church. And, and, and what was the immediate reason for this? It's clear the immediate reason was because he was choosing 12 men. Guess who the last one, look on the list there. Read through the list. Who's the last one on the list? Tell, Judas Iscariot. There's a little note about Judas. Who, who is that guy? He's the one who was the traitor. He betrayed Jesus. And can I be honest with you? It, this is my own personal opinion. It doesn't say this, but I can only imagine that part of that all night in prayer was taken up with Jesus talking with the Father and the Father revealing his will with regard to Judas. This man I want you to welcome him. I want you to pour time into him. He's going to heal people by the power of the Spirit. I want you to train him. But I need you to know this, Jesus. He's the one who's going to betray you. And he's going to do it for 30 lousy pieces of silver. Because you helped him, but his heart was not astray. Wait, wait, Father? You want me to invest that much time into him? I mean, how, how about if we were to just like maybe a Pharisee that I don't know, but someone that I'm going to pour myself into and I'm going to entrust myself to? You want that type of person on my team? Yes. So important, Jesus. I can only imagine a dialogue that's going on. And Jesus did exactly what the Father showed him. Can I just say that if that's the kind of time that Jesus spent seeking the will of the Father, how can we do any less? How can we do any less? Can I also say that spending all night in prayer, from what I can tell in the Gospels, was not Jesus' usual practice. There was something unusual about this. But it's significant. Choosing the 12, including the one who's going to be trained, that's significant. Who are these 12 men so that when you train them, they're going to get it? They may not right away. As a matter of fact, Jesus did one of those, you know, oy vey, bother, really? These are the 12? I, I'm interpreting it right there, of course. But the truth is that there were so many things. He was frustrated. You have little faith. 
Don't you get it? You know, when I talk about the yeast, why do you think I'm being literal here? I'm not talking about, why are you concerned about whether you brought a loaf? I fed 5,000 people. Why are you concerned about whether you brought bread on board the ship or not? I'm talking about the yeast. Of the, I'm talking about their deceptive teaching. Ah, they begin to get it. And so they were slow at times. So many times they didn't have faith. But Jesus chose those 12 to pour himself into. And those 12, Scripture says, turned the world upside down. Amen. The Father's will was carried out, and it was perfect. The heart of Jesus, so in tune with the Father, so in line with him. For me, that would take a whole lot of transformation, but for Jesus, he was right there, and he discerned the perfect, pleasing will of the Father. So I would say this, that Jesus, though it wasn't his usual practice, I would say that radical actions require radical decisions and that decision was all night in prayer regardless of how inconvenient it was and let me just tell you how inconvenient that was how many of you have ever pulled an all-nighter raise your hand if you pulled yeah for college right or some other all night how did you do the next day were you did, did you did you make it through the day or did you crash how many of you pulled an all-nighter and then you stayed up the entire day the next day raise your hand Okay, not easy, is it? How about if you have a heavy work day? Not, a, not necessarily mental, but physically heavy work day, because Jesus did. He came down from the mountain after he chose the 12, and what did he do? There were disciples everywhere, and a crowd began to gather, and they all wanted to be healed. And so they're on a plane, and Jesus starts healing all of these people and everyone that the father showed him that he was to heal all of them are healed this was so intense church and you can read it yourself but people began to walk up to jesus to just touch his clothing and they would be healed and can you imagine how that caught on fire oh my goodness you, you just got healed really you just touched his garment. i'm gonna do that and walk up everybody's touching his garment one after the other being healed but Jesus wasn't done. Do you know what he did next? He preached the Sermon on the Mount. Now I realize that some have this, this is called the Sermon on the Plain. Can I just tweak that a little bit? No, this is the healing on the plain and the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, the healing on the plain, P-L-A-I-N, okay? There's, you understand what it is. Healing on the plain and the sermon on the mount matthew 5 is basically this now luke and matthew record it just a little bit differently that's their prerogative still inspired and inerrant but jesus called his disciples to him and taught them and by the end of the sermon on the mount according to matthew 8 excuse me matthew 7 a whole bunch of people had gathered, even those who weren't his disciples. And he spoke to them, hey, build your life on my teaching. Anyway, Jesus, spending an entire night in prayer and then having such an exhausting day the next day, and he knew this because the Father had shown it to him. Whoa, that's all I had to say, whoa. Maybe part of that prayer was, God, here, here, 
there's going to be a lot of people there, and I'm going to be preaching. What do you want me to say? I don't know. But I do know this, that radical actions require radical decisions. In this case, all night in prayer. I already mentioned Judas Iscariot. That was another thing, that he reason why he would probably have spent all night in prayer. Number three, that the healing and the teaching that took place. And then number four, even Jesus, who only said what he heard the Father from the Father and only did what he saw the Father do, who was more intimate with the Father than anyone and who was truly God in the flesh, sought God's leading for extended periods of time in this case. Now, can I just ask you, if, if you were to, if, can I just say to you, if you were to ask, well, how much time do I need to spend in prayer? See, I can't answer that. But here's what I'm going to leave you with in this. You need to pray as much as God is leading you to pray to press into him, even if it's completely inconvenient. Now, I'm not saying that, therefore, that must be four hours or four hours a day. I'm just saying this prayer, and as we are seeking God and what he wants to do in us will be inconvenient. Press through that. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said to his disciples, who he had asked to pray while he was gone, came back there asleep, and he says this, surely the spirit is willing, but the flesh, the body, is weak. And church, that's just a fact. Your body is going to be weak. It's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to call you to intense praying over a period of time, and it will, be, it will feel as if it's too hard. Why? Because our flesh, our body is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Could you not watch and pray with me for one hour? He wasn't asking for all night. He was just asking for one hour. And even then, it was hard for them. And, and I don't ridicule them. I don't know how hard or busy that day was for them. I do know that this, there are times in which I have a hard, long day doing paint touch-up. And I come home, and it's like after dinner, it's maybe 7.30. I'm ready to crash. I am so exhausted. I don't know what hour it was here. But okay, you know, if Jesus said, hey, Mike, come on with me. We're going to pray for an hour. I would say, my spirit's willing, but I wouldn't even be able to get to that destination, and I would probably fall asleep on my feet walking there. I'd be so tired. But you know what? Jesus says, Jesus' example was pray, even when it's inconvenient. Why? Number one, because prayer moves the heart of God. Prayer moves the heart of God. He, he, just, he longs to hear your heart. He longs to hear you and your words to then call him to action. Not command him, but call him to action. A desperate plea. Prayer moves God's heart and prayer prepares our heart. It prepares our heart to know God's will and do his will. To, to know God's will, and to do his will. When you're praying, can I just encourage you, in this type of situation in which you're seeking God's will, it is more, and it must be more, 
saying, God, just show me what to do. I, I myself have gotten caught up into that. Because truly, I, 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 I need to do something. I just don't know what to do, God. I, I'm out of answers. I'm out of things to do. I'm out of remedy. And I need your help. Just understand this, that God knows what you need. Don't spin your wheels. Don't keep saying, God, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Help me. I just don't know what to do. Guess what? God knows you don't know what to do. He knows it. And it's okay for you to confess that. But maybe after the 10th time, we should, okay, God, you get that. Thanks. Because many times that type of prayer is just birthed out of anxiety. And that's what the prayer is actually supposed to do just the opposite and get rid of anxiety and rest in his sovereignty, okay? I want us to close in looking at a passage that I think many of us are familiar with concerning this type of inconvenient type of praying, and it's Luke 18. Luke 18. And I'm, I'm going to quickly read it to you and comment on it, and, I'm, and more, I'm going to leave you with some questions. Luke 18 Verse 1, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. And Jesus is about to share a parable with them. And what is that parable supposed to be about, church? Luke tells us, so that they would always pray and never give up. All right, he said, in a certain town there was a, a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. Not a judge you want. Some of you have gone to court and you've gotten these types of judges, okay? Not a judge that you want, but this is the judge that this widow gets, okay? And, and so in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with this plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. How hard could that be? Just grant me justice. Can, can you just help me out and, and resolve this situation? This is an adversary, meaning this person is opposing her. She's a widow, but see, the judge could care less about her condition, whether she's a widow, whether she's you know, if she's wealthy, he might be interested, but she has no money, whatever. What are you bothering me for? This man's heart is wrong. But guess what? She doesn't give up. For some time, he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, he even recognizes that church, he even knows he doesn't love God, he even knows he could care less about people. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And so the judge apparently gives her justice. Why? Because she kept coming to him over and over and over. And help me out with this, church. And over and over and over until... He finally gives her justice. And, and Jesus, he goes on and he says this. He says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him 
day and night. Church, day and night. Can you just say that with me? Day and night. One more time, please. Day and night. How often are we called to seek God in this manner? How often? Day and night. That's a, that's a lot. I mean, sorry, that is really inconvenient. And, and can I just say, I have been face-to-face, face-to-face church with inconvenience. And I'm not going to say then, after when I'm all done, then all of you need to be on the 7 o'clock prayer team every night. And all of you guys, you need to set aside an hour in the morning and an hour and you know, scrap that. Two hours in the morning and two hours at I'm not going to do that. I am just simply saying prayer can really be inconvenient. And for, but for this woman, it didn't matter. Why do you think it didn't matter to her? Because her life, there was something about her life that was on the line here. When you pray, when you intercede, is, is there anything, when you seek God, do you sense that there is just too much on the line for you to be like Saul and say, hey, this is just too inconvenient? There are lost souls in this world. And they're bound for hell. For us to say, I'm sorry, God, but it's just really inconvenient to pray for them every morning. Even two minutes. It's just inconvenient for me, God. I have to be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning. Don't you realize that? I think God knows the answer to that, by the way. Don't you realize that, God? And, and you want me to get up at what time so that I can seek you and pray and get into your word so that my heart is transformed so that, guess what, I can know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God? I'm just going to challenge us, church. This is inconvenient. The disciplines of the Christian life, they're inconvenient. God's call to pursue him desperately is inconvenient. Can I just ask you, maybe we should inconvenience ourselves. Maybe we just should. And, and so Jesus says that day and night, she cries out, we are to cry out to him, will he keep putting them off? His chosen ones who are praying day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, now listen to Jesus' promise here. He will see that they get justice and, and quickly. Wow. So it might be inconvenient, but from God's perspective, he's going to do this quickly. That's his promise. He's going to do it, and he's going to do it quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I think that is Jesus' whole point. Because at the very heart of this issue, something that Saul just didn't have is faith. It's, it's, it's galvanized faith. It's tried faith. Not faith that you just tried. I mean, faith that was tried and tested. 
in fire. It is that type of faith that Jesus is trying to form in us. Always pray and not give up. His chosen ones seek him day and night. And so here, here are just some questions I want to throw out there, my friends. And, and, and I don't mean this like battering us. But wait, let, let, let these questions just weigh our heart right now. But have you given up? Has discouragement soured your heart? Maybe made it sick? Have you concluded What's the use? Church, can I just be honest with you? I have been there. And it's not like God just folded his arms, furrowed his brow, and just said, Mike, <clears throat> maybe I should give up on you too. Because God the Father promises he never will. Even when, my, even when I fail in faith, he will not fail me, and he will not fail you. Even when we're weak and we're so wearied, even when we're numb because of pain and heartache and the trial again, and we're going to keep praying, even when we're weary, God understands, but he's asking us in those hard times, just take that baby step. Just maybe fall down, literally fall down before him and share your heart with him. Not like you haven't done it before, but just share your heart with him and just say, God, right now, it is so hard for me to even pray. Give me that mustard seed of faith right now. And then start talking to him. Start laying the concerns out. Inconvenient prayer, pressing in when it's so hard. I'm not suggesting an all night in prayer. Maybe for you, just simply an hour is in completely inconvenient. But allow God, as you're going through 2023, to press you to those points of inconvenience. And just allow him to do something so much deeper in your heart than what he's done in the year 2023. Allow him to bring healing. Allow him to bring encouragement. The father knows exactly what you need. He knows the pain that you're going through. And so I just, I leave that with you. You know what? There are certain things on my prayer docket that I have prayed for for a very long time. Some of them just a few years, some of them for many years. And I get discouraged about them sometimes. And my wife and I, as we pray, the two of us, sometimes we get just discouraged about it. But we just keep praying. And we keep praying. And, and I'm glad for my wife because generally if I'm discouraged, she's not. And she can encourage me. And if she's discouraged, I'm not. And I can encourage, at least I hope I can encourage her. And maybe there is someone in your life that God can do that with you. Okay? But let's pray. Let's press in no matter how hard. Will you stand with me, church? This, this is something that's hard to hear. 
It is, church, and, and I'm going to give you that. But God is so good. Church, he is so, so very good. Let's just allow ourselves right now to be vulnerable to him, okay? We're about to have communion. And as we think about what Christ has done for us, I'm just going to, I'm just, can you allow that truth to encourage your heart tonight? Father, we just ask you, as we have been pressing in to know you, to serve you, maybe to pray day and night. But Father, I, I just ask God, as, as we allow ourselves to be vulnerable to you right now, whatever you need to do in here, God, would you do it? Wherever there's discouragement, would you encourage us? God, we need just a little bit of encouragement. Maybe tonight the word was that encouragement, I don't know. But God, encourage us. Just that, just that kernel of truth that we would need to, again, latch on to hope. But Father, I pray, heal our heart where that heart needs to be healed. Speak truth. God, show us the amazing, good, good Father that you truly are. And don't allow us to listen to the lies and deceptions of the enemy that are contrary to that truth. We press into you because we love you. We're like those people on the plane. We just want to touch the hem of your garment, Jesus. Heal our hearts. We want to follow you to the ends of the earth. Help us, restore us to do that. May our heart not be like Saul, but it be like David, a man or a woman after God's own heart. In Jesus' name.